Hello and welcome. We are, I am, I hope you are as well. So I'll just say we are stoked to be at episode 10 and to be a lovely circular episode. Okay, so first of all, it's Emma Jackson, a fantastic actress who was a blast to interview in the director's booth at Shakespeare Theatre Company and who is in a delightful bit of, I don't know if irony is exactly the right word, but let's call it irony, um, is starring in a production of a world premiere of Daniel Molman's Lexus at the Hubbard Hall in Cambridge, New York. One of the reasons that we are dropping this particular episode at this particular time is that by the time that you hear this, they should be open and you should be able to get tickets to them if you should be so inclined. And I hope you are. I know I am. I'm going to do my goddamnedest. <sighs> Aaron, that was rough. Anyway. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, it's, it's late at night. I'm in my new office setup because the porch is super cold. I mean, like near zero super cold and I'm in the living room and just barely upstairs are all the other people who are in this house and they are sleeping. So I'm trying not to wake them and I'm being very profane when it happens. And either way, it doesn't matter. Look, the point is Emma Jackson is completely awesome. She was in the Peace Corps and we talked about all of that stuff, and thank you for joining us for episode 10. Oh, this is so scattered, but um, please find a way to get to Hubbard Hall in Cambridge, New York, so you can see the world premiere, because there is only one of Daniel Moman's Nexus. And, uh, yeah, and whatever the hell else Daniel Moman does, and whatever the hell else Emma Jackson does, you should see all of it, because it's sure it's going to be amazing. I It's been such a privilege to interview both of them. So we've got episode one and we've got episode 10 wrapped around into each other. Thank you for joining us. It's Exit the Stage Door. I am Aaron Deegeman and I am out. It's Emma Jackson. So we just started recording just so you know. Oh, thank you. Um, uh, did you ever see the trailer to Jerry Seinfeld's movie Comedian? No. It's from a long time ago now that I think about it, which is makes me feel terrifyingly old. But um, Inner World always like brought me back around to that trailer because uh. it's just one of the Mr. Voices mm -hmm. getting into a sound booth about ready to record the audio for the trailer to Comedian. And he just goes off the rails like, Inner World, Renegade, Robot Cops. There's no cops. What? In space. There's no space. <laughs> Get out of the booth, Jack. No, I like it in here. <laughs> so when Inner World came out, I was like, yes! Yeah. I want another world. I want to know more. And I, yeah. No, that was a great one. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I caught up with that after award season. The award season is when I usually catch up with my movies. I just saw it on Netflix. <laughs> That's the other way to go. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, the Netflix cycles increase. Uh, speed has increased. The, the, I, mm -hmm. It's funny. Is it, we're in the director's booth at Sydney Harmon Hall. Thanks, thanks, many thanks again to Shakespeare Theatre. Um, there's Amanda Lurch. Uh, she's a house manager here. <laughs> They're setting up the house for uh, Tempest this evening, and we're looking at the 
Oh, yeah, they're starting their pre-show checks, too. Um, this is going to be surreal. <laughs> I'm, like, really geeking out. <laughs> this is very fun. There's a... Oh, you can wave to Catherine and Laura um, as they do their checks for the motor that turns the turns the shipwreck. Can we tell the secret that there's, like, a whole bottle of Jameson here <laughs> in the director's <laughs> booth? <laughs> right there in the corner. I saw it first, <laughs> folks. <laughs> turns out what happens in the director's booth probably should stay in the director's booth. Okay. But uh, it's not soundproof, which is fun, as you can oh. tell through the door. You can hear people through the door, and the monitors will come. Uh, if, if Mackenzie turns the monitors on, you'll hear the monitors too. Nice. And uh, these windows will open as well. It's relatively soundproof, but okay. This cool. is also where they do the audio describe. This is fantastic. I love this, and I'm loving looking at this shipwrecked ship on the beach. Yeah, yeah. The sand. I think they said something was like five tons or something like that. It's in huge number. I, I did a sand show in college. Uh, we did Our Country's Good, and it looked exactly like that, like sand everywhere. And, um, yeah, lucky those actors. Oh, that, uh, quite a few of them are barefoot as well, yes. as you would expect. Well, yes. You can't and do sand show and wear yeah. shoes. <laughs> oh, it turns. Look at that. The ship is turning, you guys. You have to come see this. Oh, my gosh, it's so magical. Yeah, there's a, a reveal of Ferdinand and Miranda at the end this is done with that. I have to come see it there, now. It's a big old show. There's a lot going on. Mm. Definitely worth seeing. Mm -mm -mm. Cool. Ariel flies a lot as well. <gasps> Flying. I want to fly in a show so bad. <laughs> I think that would just be the best. She's game for it. There's a couple moments here that... Yeah. I'm, I, don't want, I don't even want to talk about them for fear of spoiling them because they're Yeah, don't spoil so them. Everyone go see the show. Yes. It has lots of magic in it. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet, but it's going to be so great. <laughs> Have you, did you see McSweeney's um, Midsummer Night's Dream? Mm -mm. We're so, just talking now, which is hilarious. Like We yes. haven't actually done when, more than like shake hands. We barely know each other. <laughs> and we're just diving in. So when was that? Um, that was actually my first show here, so that would have been uh, late fall of 2012. Okay, so I'm still kind of new here. I That's about when I was moving oh, here. Oh, gotcha, okay. So it took me a while to get my bearings. Mm, indeed. I understand that. As someone who has moved a lot, mm -hmm. I totally mm -hmm. understand that. Um, yeah. Uh, moved from where? Oh, uh, <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> how I go. Where are you from? Um, so I directly moved here from Atlanta. Um, oh, okay. I had been there acting for a while. And before that, I'm going to skip out some little short hops. And um, before that, I was in the Peace Corps oh. um, in a country called Azerbaijan. Oh, yeah. Uh, which we actually just received word this week that the program is closing. Um, so that it was a little bit sad, sad news. The government is kicking us out. Um, they We developed them so thoroughly that they <laughs> no longer need the Peace Corps. So <laughs> mission accomplished. Where's that banner? I can unfurl it now. <laughs> I think it's over at the props warehouse. <laughs> so, yeah, that's where I was before for um, a little over wow, two years. Okay. And then I was in Atlanta for a bit, and then I came here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, how did you end up in the Peace Corps? I mean, other than the application process and all that. Like, oh, that's a stupid question, but like no, Peace Corps, like, elaborate. Okay, <laughs> so um, my husband and I were college sweethearts, and he's an international relations major. Oh, okay. This will also tie into why I'm in D.C. <sighs> um, and when I met him, I realized that I don't speak any foreign languages. I don't live abroad, and yet I consider myself an artist who is all about human experience. And... I was a little bit ashamed by that 
actually, and he had lived abroad and he spoke these languages and he understood different cultures. And um, so that was really attractive to me. Mm -hmm. um, he had wanted to do the Peace Corps first and then I was like, no, it'll ruin my acting career. And, and then I thought in like a year later, I was like, I kind of want to do that. And he was like, eh, I'm not so into it anymore. We went back and forth for a couple of years and then one day we both wanted to go at the same time and we were like fill out the application right now <laughs> while we both want to go <laughs> um and it was it was a it was a scary choice because i'd just gotten out of school and i had this idea in my head that two years was forever and and if i came back and and everyone else had two years worth of theater credits on their resumes and i had none that everyone would look at my resume and think oh, this person's not a real artist, or this person's not a real actor. We don't want to work with this person because X, Y, Z. Um, and it was that was really scary. But, yeah, yeah. but I, I, when I looked at the overall span of my life, it just seemed like something I had to do. Um, and it's turned out um, to be... Uh, I'm so glad I did because I became a better actor, and I became a better performer I, you know yeah. um i understand so much more about people who are not like me than mm. i did before um i i learned how completely unimaginative i am in regards to people who are not like me um so yeah i i didn't need to worry about that mm -hmm. um so i'm glad i did it is it's you'll pardon me if i don't know yeah this. um is there an azari language you are 100% correct. Okay, okay. <laughs> that is exactly, it is the Azerbaijani language, also shortened to the Azeri <laughs> language. You're totally right. It is um, a dialect of Turkish, which uh, is right. um, people, the yeah. Altaic language family. Um, so, yeah, it's it's um, a close, close, close kissing cousin to Turkish. To Turkish, interesting. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I studied Germanistic uh, mm -hmm. at the university and... Um, when I was a grad student, a PhD student at the University of Texas, you mm -hmm. had to take, obviously, continue your language learning and linguistic skills in German, but you also had to pick another language, uh -huh. which was uh, germane to your studies. Uh -huh. I, I chose French because I, whatever. Oh, I was hoping you were going to say you chose Turkish. No, but many people in the department, several, many is strong, mm -hmm. like we were like 15 of us. Five. <laughs> several of them for contemporary German culture mm -hmm. it is extremely important actually to know turkish absolutely so yeah that, and turkish like because it's a different completely different language family mm -hmm. it's um mm -hmm. as you mentioned the altaic um mm -hmm. the rules are different really different it's a very interesting language i of course we we nerded out yeah like so because turkic turkish is a is a post is it a postfix language Oh, geez. Um. Um, like, so instead of having prepositions leading up to it, you would have modifiers at the end of the word? Yes, you yeah. conjugate You conjugate words. I'm, I can't talk about language. Okay, I'm not a fair, linguist. I, I can speak it and I can do it, but I, I, I can't even speak about English that way. People, people would be like, that is that a countable noun or an uncountable <laughs> noun? And I'm like, I, I don't know, um, but I do know what a trochee is. <laughs> like, a theater school doesn't prepare you for some things in life. Um, um, <laughs> it's also, um, I, and shoot, all my friends who listen to this are going to be like, Emma, you don't know anything. It's um, awesome. We're but, already, you're already like several okay. levels of awesome. So, but it's, it's a rhyming language. So, oh, okay. so, um, the, the 
way you conjugate a word, you actually choose the conjugation depending on what the vowels are in the word. So not only are you saying like, okay, what tense am I speaking in? What tense am I speaking in? And what was the vowel in the verb or noun that I just used? And I will use the um, matching vowel. Oh, interesting. Ending for that. So yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. That's very cool. <laughs> it is cool, and it makes it sound really beautiful when someone who's not me speaks it. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I like, I think for us, it's you know, for them, we're always m- mixing up our rhyming vowels, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and they're like, those vowels don't go together. I'm like, I don't know, all the vowels go together in English. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's great, and um, and I'm really, really glad I got to do that. Um, even though I didn't learn all the words for the grammar. Sure, sure, yeah. It's well. I mean, one of the things I always tell I tell people who are learning a language because it's so hard. This that that the hardest language to learn is the second. Mm. Because so that, I can just go and learn a third one now. Would be so oh, great. Yeah, because you know, you know, you you basically understand what language is more or less better mm. now that you've been forced yes. to think of like what is a tense oh my gosh that and which you obviously when you learn english you didn't have to learn that at all you just did because your baby brain just took it up right but when you're learning something else later on in life you have to like break it down and get taught it and like all of that stuff so it's much easier to get to a third language than it is to get to the second i absolutely and and i think you also learned my husband always says i learned english when i learned my second That's, yeah, language exactly yeah same um, here so yeah, and I, that's how I learned what a countable noun was. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I um, and the whole Turkish German thing is fast, super fascinating oh, too. Um, a lot of people in Azerbaijan. There's a huge migration right now going mm. on um, from Turkey to Germany um, and tensions and oh, yeah. things like that. And I wish I was some brilliant writer instead of an actor, so I could write about it. <laughs> um, maybe I'll convince one of my writer friends to write about it. So, did you, do you uh, so in mm-hmm. terms of the, I'd love, I, I can mm. talk about Turkic Germany <laughs> because, yeah, the 50s, the guest worker program mm-hmm. and dealing with, the, right now in Germany, you have something like third generation people who are of Turkish descent, but who don't speak Turkish, whose mm-hmm. parents don't speak Turkish anymore, who speak only German, but can't become German citizens because of the whole Gastarbeiter program in general and all of the weird tensions that brings out especially in like in the back and forth like Germans will st- actually still like to go to Turkey like it still goes in the other direction as well in a strange way and the German cultural scene particularly new films and music is very heavily influenced by Turkish culture mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite filmmakers working in Germany right now his name is Fatih Akin mm-hmm. and he is of Turkish descent mm-hmm. and he did this he's done a couple movies like um, Gegen die Wand uh, which is called Head On mm-hmm. and Edge of Heaven I don't actually know what the German <laughs> oh the lights went out that's hilarious uh, they're about to do pre-show checks so I think that's why he turned off the lights on us that's okay it makes the sand sparkle <laughs> it does sparkle um, but he it, because Gegen die Wand is about someone who's stuck in the punk rock scene mm-hmm. uh, he did a documentary about mm. punk rock mm-hmm. in Turkey Mm. That's completely amazing. Uh, I want to see that. Uh, that I saw it on Netflix, so I know it's it's I, there. I know it's there. Hooray. Um, Fatih Akin. Um, That's what I'll do tonight. <laughs> uh, so in the Peace Corps, what mm-hmm. what I don't know anything about the Peace Corps other than that people do it. Peace Corps founded by John F. Kennedy. <laughs> 
to spread soft power throughout the world uh, and fight communism. Um, I'm actually really surprised a lot of people have never heard of it. Um, oh, really? Like, never a, heard of it at all? Like, never heard of it, period. <laughs> wow. that, always, that continues to surprise me. I'm Not because I'm so educated. I just thought that you learned that in school, but maybe not. Um, Peace Corps... Yeah, I can talk about that a little bit. Um, it has three goals, and I'm going to get them all out of order and messed up. But um, one is is basically um, transferring of skills. You know, oh, if, okay. if I if I am an agricultural uh, specialist, I go to a country and I consult and I teach them. Um, I personally was a youth development uh, volunteer, so I specialized in teaching theater and dance, and I worked with a women's organization um, promoting um, sort of social opportunity for women outside the home. Um, And then the second goal is to increase the knowledge and understanding about Americans on the part of the country that you're in. So basically, this is what an American is. I'm literally a walk, (laughs) your walking example of an American for the next two years. And then goal number three um, is to increase the knowledge and understanding of um, the country you were in to Americans. So I'm actually still in the Peace Corps doing goal number three right now. Okay. Hey, everybody, you should know more about Azerbaijan. It's yeah. an awesome country. So that's goal number three you kind of do for the rest of your life if okay. people will listen to you <laughs> talk about it. Um, so that's basically how it works is I think people really focus on the skill transfer aspect mm-hmm. of it, but the cultural understanding and cultural exchange aspect is really, really important um, to, you know, in my town, um, there were three of us uh, who lived there full time, and now that the program shut down, that may be the only Americans who are there for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So, um, as I think we've learned in all of the current events that are happening in the world, I, I personally, and you were saying you were talking to Michael this morning, <laughs> yep. while we're talking about social justice, you know, the big issue is people. It's hard to empathize with someone you don't know. Right. We like to believe that we can empathize with people that we don't know. We like to believe, oh, yes, people who are different from me. Of course I don't, you know, have prejudices. Of course I don't discriminate against people who aren't like me. But the truth of it is, it is much easier to be understanding, to be empathetic, to see um, and understand and fight for people who are not like you if you know them. And um, I think that's what the Peace Corps does best Mm -hmm. is... um, I have now lived in a former Soviet, um, slightly Muslim, (laughs) and slightly (laughs) Muslim, uh, Turkic country. I understand things now. You know, I hung out with men who are my parents' age who were the enemy, right? They Mm -hmm. were part of the Soviet Mm -hmm. Union. My parents were learning that these people are totally evil. Um, According to them, they weren't learning that America even existed, which is hilarious. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, You know, and and to come face-to-face with somebody that you see as completely different, like those are the people on the other side of the Iron Curtain. What does that really mean? Um, You know, what does it really mean? Like, what is the population of Iran really like? We we have political enemies. We have political um, allies. But the governments, I mean, come on. Like, do governments all really represent the, their people? Like, we could say in America. There's lots of people in America who would say the government doesn't represent right. them, yeah, yeah. let alone in a country that's not democratic. So... Um, I, I'm a big believer in, you know, getting out there and meeting as many people who are not like you as possible. And, um, the Peace Corps allows me to do that. So I'm greatly enriched and 
poor, poor, those people who their enrichment was meeting me. (laughs) 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 And I apologize to them. (laughs) So, yeah, that's basically how it works. And it's all over the world. And, in fact, the most exciting one, um, they just announced they're opening up um, a post in Myanmar. Oh, wow. uh, Slash Burma, depending on your politics. Right, Um, So that's incredibly exciting. Yeah. And I know people are going to be going nuts to go over there. Um, My husband was like, can we do it? Can we go again? (laughs) Like, let's go right now. Um, So you can't go to Azerbaijan right now. Maybe they'll open it up again in the future. (laughs) So... uh Wow, yeah, that is completely awesome. Um, how long... So, yeah. in, how long were you in Atlanta then? Um, About two years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was one of those things where we weren't sure where we wanted to be. I grew up in Atlanta, so we were kind of crashing with my parents while we figured out where we were going to head next. And so I just was going to auditions just Mm -hmm. to sort of pass the time and um (laughs) not pass the time that's not the right i go to auditions because i'm an actor and that's my job um and and so we actually moved away to somewhere else and then i had been cast so (laughs) so i had been cast for like the next couple months in atlanta so i moved back and um i was working very consistently um there and um it was a wonderful experience. I really love the theater community in Atlanta, and I actually think that they have a lot in common with the theater community in D.C. I think they have a lot in common. Um, And then my husband got a job here, um, and so we decided to come here. And and the funny thing is he he had wanted to come here all along, and I Mm. was really naive, and hopefully things like your podcast can change this. I was like, D.C., there's nothing there for me. I'm an actor. I'm into theater. And I got here, and I was like, oh, my gosh. I had no idea. Why did I have no idea? That's, That's horrible. A good question, yeah. That's horrible. And I and I, you know, I tell people that all the time. It's like this is the greatest theater city ever. I've lived a lot of places and this is I love it here. And why why when when you're in school do they say, "Oh, you can live in New York or Chicago or LA." That's where you can live. And and there are these wonderful markets like Atlanta and DC um, that are are doing fantastic work and um, can actually provide a great life for an artistic professional. Um, and we don't know about them. Or or maybe it's because the people who are here like don't crowd the pool, like <laughs> keep, it, keep, it, keep it quiet. But I know that's not true of DC because when I got here, I have never met more welcoming mm-hmm, and yeah. It's amazing. I mean, when I would show up, like I'd show up in an EPA, and you know, you're talking to other actors, and I'd be like, "I'm new," and people would be like, "Great, welcome to the party." Whereas when there were other cities I would move to, and I'd be like, "I'm new," you'd sort of get that look over and like, "Oh, well, how much of a threat are you going to be?" And I've never once gotten that here, mm-hmm. and that's something I just love about this city is I feel like everyone's in it together. Now that might not be a hundred percent true, and I'm sure that there are you know, conflicts and personalities and competition. And this is a business. So, you know, competition is actually a good thing. Um, From my personal perspective, I'm a bit of a capitalist after, after all that time, after all that time spent in the former Soviet (laughs) Union, I actually ended up a capitalist. Um, (laughs) So, um, but, but there's definitely a very warm and inviting and, um, 
just the fact that I'm sitting here with you, you know, that somebody said, hey, you guys should meet each other. I think that's fantastic, and I'm very, very lucky that I'm here. That's exactly how I feel about it. Um, mm-hmm. I did a little bit more research ahead of time, mostly because, <laughs> well, okay, that, does, that makes me sound smart, but it happened because... Hey, I was busy finding an understudy for myself, okay? Right. <laughs> I, uh, I tried to move to New York because mm-hmm. I, I wanted to direct, or I thought I wanted to direct. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out I really just like... I use this phrase with Liz, uh, facilitating creativity. Mm. Um, I like I like making art happen. I, mm. I I love being whatever and whatever aspect that is technically is the technology aspect of it is the part that I'm best at. But, yeah. Um, not that I'm I do still want to direct. So if somebody's interested, <laughs> but uh, uh, I had this idea in my head that you know I got it. I got my lighting job through an internship. So if I could get a directing internship. I would I would go that route. So I applied to literally every not for profit theater that in New York City that has an artistic mm. internship of any kind, artistic department, the directing department, whatever. And I didn't I got a the most response I got was a postcard acknowledging my receipt of my application to the internship. So then I took a job as a production assistant. And I took a job as an assistant stage manager uh, to feed myself mm-hmm. and have a place to stay. And then I went back to being in lighting. Uh, mm. And then I went back to being in lighting at whatever job was open. Ironically, the two jobs that I was up for were ATL. Either I could have gone to Alliance <gasps> or yeah. I could have gone to Actors Theatre of Louisville. Oh. I ended up on Louisville, but yeah. um, strongly considered the Alliance because they have... They like, both have lovely reputations. Yeah, I, I, that's exactly I was like. But Alliance was going to be stuff that I had done before, and Actors Theatre was a little bit more of a managerial position. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'll go for the managerial. S- settle back into that life. and FYI, I think I actually know the person who took it what when year was what year was it um this would have been early 20 uh early 2011 yeah i think i know the the person who took it actually came from here that's so funny i'm not even kidding they they moved out of dc for that <laughs> i i yeah because <laughs> because i talked to them when i was moving here and they were like oh yeah it's great <laughs> so wow. we're, we're always you know chasing yeah. the dream yeah <laughs> yeah but while i was while i was in actress theater, discovering how little I was going to be paid for such a short because their mm. their season is ultra short. It ends essentially when Humana Festival ends, mm. so they have a like a four and a half month layoff period, which mm-hmm. is a little too long. Mm-hmm. Um, so I looked around and I took I took an uh, inventory, and I have family in the area, mm-hmm. and I'm actually living with my aunt and uncle, my grandmother, mm-hmm. and uh, so that that came up immediately and I started digging into the scene a little bit more and that's when I started getting active in the people who were in Twitter here mm-hmm. and I was like yes this this is the place that ever there's just there's way more than just the first of all there's a bunch of Lort theaters here and the top level is there's a lot going on that but there's also this massive space where so much creativity and is bubbling and there's it's so welcoming and they're constantly trying new things and being part of it, I was like, "Yeah, that's the scene I want to be in." Well, that you hit the head, the nail on the head when you said the new things. It's all the new play um, focus here. Um, I so one of the things I've been discovering um, over the past couple of years is like I love working on new plays. 
Love it, love it, love it, love it. I mean, I love classics too. And um, when I was elsewhere, I was doing sort of, you know, a workshop here, workshop there. But um, I sort of fell in love with uh, playwrights as a whole. Mm. I just, I had crushes on all these playwrights. I love them so much. And I like do anything to help them. And, um, and this is a city where there's tons of opportunity for that. And that's just so exciting to me and makes me so, so happy. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, one of the one of the fun little side things that I, I did that um, was sort of my part to forward the new place mm-hmm. movement was to be a reader for Inkwell Theater. Yeah, I've and, worked with Inkwell. Oh, yeah. yeah. It was so great. They were really super nice. And so... They know what they're doing. Yeah, they do. Um, the stage <laughs> just went dark. We are... Sorry. We just sort of both squirreled into... Um, we're like writing this out. It's kind of fun. The, yeah. All the different lights are changing, and this our is lights channel check. Turning on, turning off. Yeah, he's checking the focus of every light. We're uh, we're in the system lights, so he's gonna roll through these really quickly. This is so fun. <laughs> As Catherine is sweeping the stage. So, what play were you reading for? I read. I was like the reader for their most recent call mm-hmm. for plays. So I read like 50 of them. That's fantastic. Uh, it sort of all blurred together. <laughs> that's, no, that's great. But it was cool. It was really cool. And I, there's there's one in particular, oh man, I don't remember the title of it at all. It was really great. It's uh, a Rwandan, um, I hope it may, I don't know who made it through to their like mm-hmm, final mm-hmm. five or whatever. Um, but you I, read one you loved. I did. It, it was it was it was like dance, and it was based on the, like the Rwandan marriage rituals, and these mm. people were living in New York and trying to figure out their lives as newly transplanted Americans, and and between the dance and the sort of like impressionistic aspects of it, like the subjectivity of it was great. Uh, it, it was it was a f- fantastic play, and yes, there were a lot of bad ones, but those that's the that, that's just the simple statistics of it right 90% of everything is crap so like that and that's that might sound harsh but that's just the well that's all of us I think if you're not producing crap you're not producing anything well I, th- <laughs> no that's a great point is that's, that a horrible thing to no, say no it's actually learning so I write plays and I write screenplays and stuff like that no one will ever read them or see them produced probably but I, I, I write because I have to but mm-hmm. I also, in order to make myself a better writer, I have to tolerate the fact that most of what I write is crap. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't get to the good stuff if I don't get through the stuff that isn't very good. Yeah. That, I mean, we all struggle with that, right? Is you don't want to, especially if you are a perfectionist or you've gotten a lot of attention for being quote-unquote good at things, it makes you less willing to take risk. And yeah. um yeah, I'm working on that all the time. There's this great picture that I I have on my computer posted, and it's it's a cartoon picture of a fire hydrant that is like engulfed in flames, and it says "fail harder." <laughs> and I I look at that all the time because I, it's I, I always want to take the safe. Wo- I only I you know the 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 temptation is to only do what you think will be okay, right? Because then at least it won't be bad. And the truth is, if you're only doing what's okay so it won't be bad, you're never going to be great, mm-hmm. ever. And we all know that. It's it's not new news, but it's one of those things you have to remind yourself constantly, yeah. constantly, constantly. Am I, 
I, I also have the temptation of, oh, well, this is good. This is good. I'm just going to sit right here. I'm just going to settle in. Right. I love the way I, that I say that line. I'm just going <laughs> to stay right here and, and not, you know what, you can go back, but you aren't done exploring yet. And you, you know, when you're writing every day, I'm sure it's the same way. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's it. I, it's interesting too for me. The um, in terms of the process of challenging people to get better or find more. The, as a director. Oh, as a director. Um, I've I worked in regional theater for a really long time, for like seven. Well, really long time. That's crap. For a while, mm-hmm. seven years. And I, I'm in tech and I'm watching these directors work and it's really, there are times when you can understand when people say things like the room has to be difficult. They're, they're like, the, why why rehearsals are private because of the challenging things get said and done and this person is an mm. utter asshole. But, and the person he's directing is totally crazy, but they produce great art at the end of it. But, so people tolerate that because of the art that happens at the end of it. But I don't think that's actually optimal. But I, that's a totally incoherent thought. And I don't just... No, I I think there's a lot there. I was thinking about, yeah, totally crazy in regards to an actor. Um, I, I was... I don't do this anymore. But when I was a young actor, <laughs> younger actor, <laughs> um, I used to have, like, these breakdowns <laughs> and, I, and I like the more I would try to not have a breakdown the more I would have one and this is gosh this is really personal and hello podcast world I'm just gonna put it all out there I would cry at least once mm. during tech I would just burst into tears and for a long time I I was like I'm so unprofessional I can't get my stuff together and then I realized like I spent how many thousands of dollars in conservatory being taught how to not stifle my emotions so <laughs> Maybe that's why. And then once I kind of came to this place where it was like, you can accept that you're feeling frustrated and scared. You don't have to let that spill out on other people. Mm. It's, it has stopped happening. So I don't actually have those issues anymore. But I am really sympathetic to someone who so badly wants something to be good and they're scared because they don't know if they can trust themselves. And... That should never come out on someone else. It never, ever should. But sometimes it does. And and I think when you have a bunch of artistic people in the room, you have a lot of people who deep down really, really, really care. Mm. And there's ego there, mm-hmm. <laughs> too. And there's um, – I, I was listening to the podcast earlier, I think on the episode where you were talking to Danielle, you guys sort of talked about um, – being professional at the end of it, you know, sort of saying like, well, that was a bad experience and so I don't want to go there again. I, I think there's no excuse for bad behavior, but you can't change somebody else. Mm. So for my part, I would never, I don't know, my thoughts are becoming incoherent as well <laughs> now. Um, I, I think what I'm trying to say is like my my hope would be that I would be gentle and understanding of everybody around me and Here's, here's a more concrete way to say it. I used to be in a position where if somebody was doing something that just was like so for themselves, like that that actor is just, they're not there for me. They're just so for themselves. I want them to be doing something different instead. Well, I'm also being for myself, right? If I'm truly listening and 
watching and absorbing. It can't be about what I wish they were doing instead. Right. It's about what they're doing, period. That's how life is. Yeah. You know, if I'm out to dinner and I don't like how that couple next to me is is eating their food, I don't get to go over there and change the way they're doing it. That's life. I have to deal. Yeah. And I think the more that I am able to be like, well, this is the life that I'm in right now. I My job is to react and be honest and be kind. Um. It makes it easier. I've also, but here's the truth of it is, I can talk about this, but I I have been so lucky. I have just, I get on all these shows where everyone is amazing. <laughs> I, I, it has been years since I've been on a show where I didn't feel like everyone was really brilliant and wonderful. Mm. And I think that's not because years ago I was on shows that weren't good. I think it's because I've become a more, less self-absorbed person. That's me, my own personal I mean, that's the journey. journey. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, not saying that there's not bad experiences, though. There definitely right. are. I just have been very, very, very lucky for the last four years um, to be surrounded by brilliant people. <laughs> um, and maybe that's partially because I'm here. I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 one of my one of my goals actually with this podcast is I, 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 I it's it was great. Both both you and Michael have said today, oh, I listen and and <laughs> it's like, oh, that's fantastic. That's <laughs> such a weird experience. Um, but I I hope to bring people in to to like mm. the guts of theater and the parts that theater people don't as theater people have a weird rhythm of life. Um, so mm-hmm. we often don't get to share the the details of our work people aren't always interested in the pro- I think people are always interested in the process they just don't know how to ask the question mm-hmm. and um, because what we're talking about in terms of like the difficulties and the bad experience come mm-hmm. from um, two and two particular parts of the theatrical experience that a lot of people who aren't in theater like everyone who has ever worked in theater who is listening to this podcast is just going to be nodding our head as we go along with this We're like yes that is <laughs> <laughs> that is the truth because y- you have you have the rehearsal process which yeah. is which is which is always an intimate process yes. and and there is there are like you always hear stories about crazy things that happen or funny things that happen and from stage managers or from production assistants or from other actors and it's always almost always like third hand or like about this director from someone who was in the room um but it's always third hand and like you don't talk about it because mm-hmm. it, whatever happens in that room it's, the, sacred. it's a sacred space and you really like you can explain to people about it but there is such risk involved in the emotional activity of both of the, both of just of proximity for four to six weeks or longer depending on how the rehearsal house process goes you're giving up quite a lot of your daily life to these people and you're revealing quite a lot of yourself <sighs> to them either inadvertently or on purpose over and over and over again, yeah. sometimes to repeatedly to strangers. Yeah. And there has to be a level of trust there. So we, yeah. we don't talk specifically about that very often. But that's that's the the emotional core of what you see on stage yeah. happens because of the risk, the personal risks and sharing that people do in that very intimate period of time. Yeah. So like bad experiences can resonate and can really like can be devastating. I've been very lucky, I guess. (laughs) But I know exactly what you're talking about. I, okay, so here, wow, what you just said about um, sharing, it just really resonated with me. I was reading a script 
with my husband and sometimes he helps me read sides because he's a saint <laughs> and um I was like oh I love this character and he was like oh I hate her <laughs> And I was realizing, and, and he and I were talking about the fact that um, a lot of times the most successful I've been in characters that I've played or the most positive feedback I've ever gotten have been with characters that people generally don't like and have simultaneously been characters that I felt were most like me. So what I'm basically recognizing is when I am most being myself on stage, audiences don't like that person. <laughs> but yet, to be the best actor possible, I have to do that anyway. Right. And how crazy is that? <laughs> but that you get rewarded. If you're an actor, you get rewarded for walking the plank and the closer you get to the edge the more the reward which i think is also why you end up with really unhealthy people because mm -hmm. you're being rewarded for um exposure yeah yep. um and that's a whole nother story right like that's a whole deep 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 i ooh talk where you talk about Meisner versus oh, yeah. Stanislavski oh, yeah. right, and yeah. picking at wounds and oh, <laughs> and what if that actor who died young hadn't been you know working on that really difficult role at the time would they have been more emotionally stable you don't really hear that with other aspects of the theater community I don't think I mean maybe there are no, lighting no. designers who like really go off the <laughs> edge when they've really like that was the design that showed my soul that was the shade of blue that is my aura and now I can't do it anymore <laughs> I don't know well it's because it, that brings that brings it that segues really nicely actually into the second part mm -hmm. the part where there's a lot of risk and the part where egos clash and the part where there's a lot of yelling kind of a lot is during technical rehearsals yeah. where you take what happens in the rehearsal room and you put it in the space and and visions start clashing with reality and things have to happen, especially in regional theater. In the most generous regional theaters, you will tech for like maybe, if you're lucky, between tech and previews, like two weeks. Or if you're Actors Theater of Louisville, you will tech for two and a half days. Mm -hmm. And then the show will be in front of an audience mm -hmm. and you have to fly. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, the just like, it just gets so tense occasionally well, in that room. Your audience can't see, but I'm nodding so hard that I'm <laughs> bouncing up and down in my seat. Well, and also you have um, oftentimes the tech side is not interacting with the actors very much. And so I think that in um, tech, tech tech, you suddenly have these actors who are like, we've been telling this story and it's our special story full of our special moments. And then the tech people are say, are like, hey, here we are ready to share our designs that, that we've been working on. And there's been very, usually, unfortunately, there's been very little interface between those two. And so when you suddenly, um, the lights are like, you're like, those lights, no, that's not, what? And then the tech person's like, you're not wearing that costume right. Your character doesn't walk like that. They walk like this. That's why I gave you those shoes. <laughs> and you've just spent like, and obviously in, you're going to have the shoes ahead of time. But this is, you know, sort of a taste of 
why I once told a director I hate tech and she was horrified like I it looked like I had said I hated I liked killing puppies but I I really I think tech is so hard for that reason it's brutal brutal. and maybe the reason is because you have two groups of people who have been bearing their souls and there's but not not to each other yes exactly how can we fix that? That's a great question. <laughs> I, that's a uh, one. Of, I mean, I, we t- I t- talked to Rachel Grossman, and one mm-hmm. of the one of the ways that they're trying to solve part of that problem is with a much more collaborative process from beginning to end, where mm-hmm. everybody is sort of part of everything. The whole theater company does everything. And can I tell an anecdotal story? Absolutely. Um, I was in a show. Uh, it was very very cool. We were doing um, the Ugly Duckling. But it was a movement based piece. Ooh. Lots of dance and choreography. Um, but it was actually in a lake. So the the stage had been sunk about three inches below the surface of the water. And so we were doing choreography, and a lot of the choreography involved splashing and being birds in the water, and. Um, the costume designs were gorgeous. Like they had these big billowing um, pants that would make you look like you had these big duck haunches. Um, and then the day of the fitting came and the costume designer was like, so I made these from the most beautiful silk so they shouldn't get wet. <laughs> and we were like, wait, what? And they're like, do the choreography, splash the water, but don't get it on the costumes. <laughs> And it was just this moment of you just made the most beautiful costume with the most beautiful silk and the pants and it's perfect. And the choreographer just made the most beautiful choreography and the set designer made the most gorgeous set. And we have been putting our hearts and souls and none of it is one of them is going to have to die. <laughs> and unfortunately, it was the pants. The pants died. <laughs> they got soaked and they were mushy and you had to cover yourself in baby powder just to get in and out of them oh, wow. but you know how can you keep that from happening and 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 you know as an actor i think you you're most in intimately impacted by the costumes mm. um so to me my most of my experiences have had to do with and the costumes are so that's what's so transformative i feel like costume designers and and actors should go on character dates with each other like oh. in the first week wouldn't that be great if you got to go on a coffee date with the costume designer and just go all out about what they think and what you think because if you've ever had that experience of like going in a room and being like, I have this part, I've read the script, I love this person, and they and and they throw up their drawing of you, and you're like, oh, that's a completely different person. How do you make those things go together? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I think if you had a nice long coffee date, that might not happen. I, I it's. <laughs> It's such a congenital problem in the regional theater. Like, no one actually knows how to conduct a production meeting in a way that where the costume designer would know that water was somehow involved with the whole thing. Like, it's fascinating to me because I think a lot of it, a, a lot of it has to do in regional theater w- with two things. One is that designers aren't on staff. They are right. jobbed in and out. And, and they often from out of town. From out of town. And they're doing probably five things at once. Right. So they're working on a bunch of things. They need to make time in their schedule for a meeting, and then the meeting is over as quickly as possible for people's concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, and the nature of creativity and collaborative mm-hmm. achievement is 
all about serendipity and talking out a problem and talking out, just talking it out Mm -hmm. and then discovering, oh, wait, that's what you thought about it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't respond to, do you have any problems? Do you have any problems? Do you Mm -hmm. have any problems? No. Okay, great. Production meeting went great. Right. Um, It's all about, it it needs to just flow more. I always go, I I always remember architecture is something that I really love um, because buildings have space that has meaning. Not only does the building, the shape of the building have meaning, but the space it carves out within itself has meaning and purpose. Absolutely. And Pixar deliberately designed their headquarters so that the bathroom, there was only one set of bathrooms in the entire building, Mm. and everybody has to go there (laughs) at some point in the day. And it was designed to maximize the number of random encounters that you had with people who you weren't necessarily working with every day Mm -hmm. and to maximize creativity with those people and fortuitous accidental meetings Mm -hmm. because there's a common space that you all had to go to Mm -hmm. and that and Pixar has succeeded creatively on a number of levels so but that that to me is is part of the problem is that we don't we we're too in many regional theaters I should say are too focused on a detailed agenda checking it off and asking questions and not letting uh, letting the idea settle and blossom. And well, and to be fair, on, on uh, from a business standpoint, you know, you don't have a lot of time and you don't yes. have a lot of money. And so I feel like those kinds of things would have to be voluntary and ha- mm-hmm. you can't do that on union scale for sure. For sure. <laughs> hey, everybody, go voluntarily hang out together. <laughs> um, <laughs> but It's a four-hour minimum, by the way. <laughs> right. But maybe, you know, I, I was. it just occurred to me, you know, I, I went and saw a couple plays this week and who did I go with? I went with other actors. Mm-hmm. How would my experience have been enriched if I had also gone with a set designer? How mm-hmm. would it have, you know, how do we, as a community, hang out with each other more? Yeah. Um, I know there was a mixer earlier this year, and unfortunately, I don't remember who arranged it, but it was really fantastic. Um, and I just got invited tangentially. Um, but there were not just theater professionals, artists of all types. There oh. were novelists and painters and theater professionals and uh, um, poets and Everybody was there together, and um, God bless the person who put that together because we need that. We yeah. we all can benefit from each other. Like we were talking about at the very very beginning on an international development scale and on a social justice scale, it all goes back to knowing people who aren't like you, right? right. And hearing right. ideas that aren't like your ideas. Um, yeah, let's start that. <laughs> How do we do that? How do we change our circles? I don't know. Oh, yeah. Asking the question is the first step to getting an answer, though, so. I've completed step one. <laughs> Someone out there in podcast land, call in with step two, please. <laughs> please do call in. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's, uh, we'll try to put you on the line. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, the whole board is lighting up. Oh, unfortunately, we didn't hire a board receptionist, so we'll have to call the pick them up later. Yeah, it's a it's a growing business. Eventually, <laughs> eventually my revenue will get there, and I'll have that switchboard operator on call. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, email works though. Yeah. Uh, Twitter. E- yeah. Email it. Tweet your ideas on how to hang out with people who aren't like you without scaring them away. Like, look at that person down there. They're tying ropes and they're wearing a harness, and mm. I don't know them, and I don't know how to get to know them. How you know? She's actually a stage manager as well. Right? 
I should hang out with more stage managers. She stage managed a giant box of porn. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I saw the original stage reading of that one. So did I. We, but <laughs> we didn't. Pitch. And yes, and yet we did not speak to each other. That's true. I was. So close. Also, uh, despite the fact that I invite people I don't know mm-hmm. to sit down and talk with me and record that conversation, mm-hmm. consider myself a bit of an introvert. So <laughs> I went and sat in the corner and doodled <laughs> as we were waiting for that to happen. Mm-hmm. I think I had an old fashioned the first time. Well. All right. But, All right. uh,. <laughs> Uh, out of curiosity. Yes. Well, oh, yeah, we should probably distract you from the stage because they're giving a part of it away. Um, I, yeah, I'm learning all the secrets, you guys. <laughs> <gasps> oh, I can't tell the secret, but it's wonderful. Everyone <laughs> go see the Tempest. Magical things are happening. Uh, oh, yeah, they might be resetting for the uh, for the opening storm. Wow. What a great, great Oh, how cool! That uh, yeah, I didn't. I was not aware that that was part of pre-show because that's pretty badass. Not, yeah. Not now I want to be a stage manager. You guys, I wish I could describe what's happening to this stage manager right now, um, but it involves not being on the ground. I can tell you that, and harnesses, and boy, does it look fun. <laughs> um, how? I don't know if you, if you mm. how much of the podcast you caught up with them. We've been. I'm trying to keep the moment streak alive. It's been interrupted occasionally. Mm-hmm. I somehow didn't talk to Michael <laughs> about Danielle. But how do you know Danielle? Oh, Danielle is... Let, you should have a moment streak because she, I think, is a great gem in D.C. theater. Um, I know Danielle um, because she's the first person in D.C. who took me under their wing when I got here. She... Um, actually, we were at National New Play Network another fabulous organization in D.C. Um, I was helping with the catering, and I (laughs) denied her a beverage because I wasn't sure if she should be there or not. And she was like, "Uh, I'm one of the playwrights. I'm allowed to have a beer. (laughs) Um, And and so she and I became instant friends (laughs) over that. Um, And actually, um, I'm going up to New York with her in just a few weeks to do Nexus. Oh, Nexus, yeah, excellent. That's very cool. I'll be playing W. So podcast listeners, if you can make it to New York to see Danielle's play, I'm going to do a plug. I hope that's okay. Absolutely, no, please. Someone in in NYU, I'm I'm just going to put this out there right now. Someone in D.C. needs to do this play. I know who I think needs to do it, but I think it would be rude to call them out on the <laughs> podcast. But they may be a listener. And this play is such a love. It's a. It's just such a love letter to D.C. that um, I can't believe it's getting a premiere in New York. Um, but go and see it. Um, it has grown so much in the past year and a half. And Danielle is just so smart. It boggles my mind. And... Um, it's a great play. You should. Are you going to come up and see it? You should come see it. When? It will be January, I think previews are 14th, 15th, um, through the first weekend in February. I'm up at Hubbard Hall, New York. I might be able to make the at to- tail end of that. I'm going into tech. I think we should arrange, this is, here is the solution. We should arrange a bus, and it should be not just actors, not just techies, not just stage managers. All people from all theatrical walks of life get on this bus. On the way up and on the way back, you can have brilliant conversations about how we can work together better. And then come and see this play because and bring it back to D.C. Because <laughs> it's, it's really something else. Um, it had its workshop at Arena. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, really great stuff there. And, um, and now we're going to be in New York, so... 
and hopefully next year or sooner um, back in D.C. And I don't have to be in it. I'm serious. I, I would just hand out programs to see it done here. So, yeah, Nexus. Woohoo! That's, that's a <laughs> ringing endorsement. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe I drank the Kool-Aid just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, I love the history of that phrase, actually. Drinking um, the Kool-Aid? Drinking the Kool-Aid. It's not a good history. It's a horrible history. I'm sad I even brought it up. There's actually two meanings to it, though. Mm. The one is the horrible one, the Jim Jones and, yeah. the, and the Dying. Yeah, now I feel bad. But one of my absolute favorite books of all time mm-hmm. is Tom Wolfe's The Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test, mm-hmm. which is about Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. Mm. Um, Does this predate the bad one? Yes, it does. Um, so, Ken Kesey wrote One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, mm-hmm. uh, got rich, mm-hmm. uh, bought a ranch, and just started doing... He might have been doing acid before <laughs> One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, but acid became sort of like his passion. Uh-huh. And the book is fantastic, by the way. Tom Wolfe is unbelievable at being... like he's, It's very... It's subjective, and it's written in the flow of being basically tripping so that like mm. things are mm-hmm. it's very onomatopoeic and it's a fascinating history of the whole thing because like acid in a popular imagination often is associated with O'Leary and that sort of weird inner eye stuff the stuff that's on the east coast but it the Merry Pranksters were all about like love and Americana and they did the bus tour mm-hmm. that inspired the Beatles to do that mm-hmm. whole thing mm-hmm. um, and there is one point so and they they're like responsible for the Grateful Dead being on acid in mm. the first place kind of thing. Mm. There was a concert. I want to say it was in like Compton or Watts, somewhere in a weird place in L.A. And they served acid-laced Kool-Aid. Ooh. Hence the title of the book. Uh-huh. And drinking, drinking that Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid was about getting into the flow. And their their approach to acid was extremely interesting. Like first of all, when they started doing it, it was not illegal. Just so we're clear. Um, uh, nor am I making any recommendations one way or the other on the use of controlled substances. <laughs> um, but what they would do, it was it was always a group thing. Like they described it, like the, no one was supposed to do it alone. Well, that's how everything happens. That's what peer pressure is, not to be well, okay, a big judgmental okay, okay. square. Uh, sure, sure. But it was it was a commune. Like I'm I'm a judgmental square most of the time as well. But. <laughs> But, like, they lived in a commune, and they talked about, like, having a crazy party with the Hells Angels, but they were able to tame them in a way, like, the, for the, the Rolling Stones. With the Kool-Aid? Well, with the Kool-Aid. And, 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 but, like, they would, if somebody started having a bad trip, they would surround them and just be, like, like Pet just them? send them love. Like, yeah, like, the idea was to bring them back from whatever weird headspace that they had gotten into and, mm. and stay in the, the positivity of it. And they were, like, anti-war protesters in a way that was really interesting because, like, why are you marching? Soldiers march. If you don't like being a soldier, you shouldn't do anything that's like them. I think that would give me a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, so there is there is w- at least one version of the Kool-Aid test that isn't absolutely terrible. It's just medium. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> <laughs> I see you. You remain unconvinced, and that's totally fine. No, um, I'm going to read the book. It should, it's... So, and this is really fun. When I was at the University of Pittsburgh um, for a grand total of like three semesters, uh, I'm trying to distract you again from what they're setting up on stage because like, I'll stop looking. Yeah, because they're so sh- giving it away. I this need like horse totally blinders. Incredible. I can't stop. Do you watch Hannibal? 
No. Oh, okay. It, Sorry. No, 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 no. It's totally fine. Um, but so at the University of Pittsburgh, they have an honors college, right? Uh huh. And, um, it turns out that you they had to encourage people to read more widely. If you get a group of people together, something like ten, mm-hmm. um, and call yourselves a book club, mm-hmm. they will buy you the books. <gasps> so we got a bunch of people what? together, and we curated a list every and it was it, uh, there's a time period like so it's like every eight weeks or so like every half a semester essentially um you have to give yourself enough time to pretend to have read the books mm-hmm. although i always read all of the almost i tried to read all of the books the tale of genji could totally defeated me this old mm-hmm. japanese text that doesn't use personal pro, it doesn't use proper nouns like mm. there are no names and there are no identifiers it's extremely difficult to read on 1,100-page text where there are no names. I bet it'd be easier if you just drank the Kool-Aid. That might be true. <laughs> that was your problem. I haven't tried it that way. That's a good point. That sounds awesome. That sounds almost as good as Book It. What is Book It? Do you remember? Okay, so I don't want to date myself, but <laughs> there was a program in middle school called Book It, and some of you out there are going to be very excited about this, and it was a partnership with the school system and Pizza Hut. And you got a big button, and every time you read a book, you got a star sticker on your button. And once all the spaces were filled up, you could go to Pizza Hut, and they would give you a free personal pan pizza. Wow. And in my family, going to Pizza Hut was like the most exciting thing in the world. I think I still have my book it button. And I I think that they should bring it back because it was like the most exciting thing ever and made a lifelong lover of books out of me by bribing me with pizza. pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know what like, you know, the, the new local food movement and school people would say about that, but. I don't know. I think you can talk to Ann Pizza about it. Maybe get one yeah. of the food trucks on it. Maybe Taco Korean. As long as it's local and organic, it's yeah, fine. sure. It's better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are we are actually at our hour. Wow, that went so fast. Yeah, it was great. Uh, so is there anything else that you want to plug besides this indexes? Um, No, I think that I want to spend all my energies on that one so people actually go to it. Okay, yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I think I can arrange the end, uh, seeing the end of the run, so. Yes! Do it, you guys. You will not regret it. I promise. <laughs> it will be like nothing you've seen before. Oh, that's great. I'm you will forward. probably hate me because I really <laughs> like I really like the character, which means she is probably totally unlikable in every way. <laughs> so get ready for that. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for having me. I really for, appreciate it. Yeah, no, this is fantastic. Danielle has a very good taste in people she thinks should be listened to. Oh, and I feel the same about her and you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. All right. Yeah. And I got to watch that. Just <laughs> awesome. It is. It's easy to lose sight of how awesome that is when you have to do it every day. It's so cool. And she got to be in a harness and go up in the sky. 